Hello everyone! Welcome to the Constructional Approach to Animal Welfare and Training Podcast. We are your hosts. I am Masa. And I am Sean. I am so excited to launch our first episode of our podcast. This is going to be so much fun. Let's begin. In today's episode, we will briefly introduce ourselves and what this podcast is about. We will also share some stories that help you see what the constructional approach is and how it works. So now I think the time is about right for introductions to help the audience get to know us just a little bit better. Do you want to start the ball on this, Masa? Yeah. Yeah, so we both earned our master's degree in behavior analysis from the University of North Texas, and we are so fortunate to study under Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. He's an amazing professor for us, and he also has a great student organization called ORCA, which stands for Organization for Reinforcement Contingencies with Animals. And it is in this lab that we hone our skills as animal trainer and researchers. And later we develop programs that are used in animal shelters, zoos, and horse rescues. And we have over 12 years experience in professional dog training. That's right. And bringing it back to Orca just for a moment, Orca's mission is one that you and I both still share today. And that mission is to enhance the lives of animals and their caretakers through behavior analytic research and then to inform the public about these findings. And this is something that ORCA still does an excellent job at to this day. They have a conference they put on every year, and I believe there's one coming up here pretty soon. It's the Art and Science of Animal Training Conference. And here they bring together the top animal trainers and scientists from across the world to talk about issues that are really important to animal training and animal welfare. Um, We'll provide a link for everybody to check out in our description that'll take you to the conference page where you can all get some more information on that. But for now, let's talk a little bit about what this podcast is all about. Yeah, to explain our podcast, I would like to draw our attention back to our title, which is The Construction Approach to Animal Welfare and Training. The first part is Construction Approach, which is a reference of the approach developed by Dr. Israel Goldiman in the University of Chicago. And it is an approach to solve problem by building and teaching new skills rather than punishing or eliminating the behavior that you find really problematic. That's really interesting right there. That, that makes me think about something that I think is maybe pretty important here. And that is the, the experience of the learner. The big difference with the constructional approach, which focuses on building behavior to meet uh, training goals or a desired end, as opposed to taking the alternative approach, which would be to eliminate or punish behavior, is that although you may end up with the same kind of outcome, both organisms might learn the similar behavior, um, there's a completely different experience there. And the one that went through the constructional approach is probably going to be much more likely to want to be another learner again in the future in that situation to where um, someone that might have gone through a punishment or eliminative procedure might be a little bit wary or maybe doesn't even want to take part in these kinds of training situations in the future. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So this brings up to the next part of our title, which is animal welfare. Animal welfare is a really important concept and issue for us, and it's already well-researched and known, you know, the basic needs of the animals and the environment that they need, but the less research and known part is the human-animal interaction, the importance of it. 
The animals are thinking, feeling, and living creatures, and those animals under our care are depend on us to meet their daily needs. So we need to make sure that every interaction we have with them are something that is mutually enjoyable and reinforcing for both parties. And we're going to talk more a lot about human and animal interaction in our future podcast. So stay tuned. Next, would you like to talk us about the last part of the title, which is training? That's right. And we don't maybe look at training the same way that maybe most people do when they think about what is training and, and what it entails. Um, I really like to take a, a quote here from Steve White, who's a dog trainer up in the Seattle area. And he always says that when there's two organisms in a room together, that one is training the other one. And so we kind of take that very literally. And we like to think about training as not just being in these isolated you know, preconceived, you know, thought out sessions and maybe also being our moment to moment day to day interactions with our animal companions. And so that's going to be something that we're going to talk about a lot in this show is not just having isolated training moments with our animal companions, but also structuring our day to day moments and lives with our animal companions to be ones that shape up the kind of interactions that we find desirable. So this brings us to the mission for our podcast. And our mission here is to share the constructional approach and its many applications to animal welfare and training with everybody. And this is a really important mission because this approach really can help improve our relationships with our animal companions. It can help make uh, taking medical care of our companions a lot easier. It can enhance our training And it also just leads to countless benefits for ourselves and our animal companions. Which we will talk about more in our future episodes. That's right. And so at this point, I'd really like to share a story with you guys from my time volunteering in the animal shelter that I think really helps to frame the importance of the constructional approach. And and it provides a quick example of how this can be used to improve our time volunteering in animal shelters And we'll also have a future podcast coming up soon about the constructional approach and how it can be used in animal shelters. And um, and just a heads up for any of any of our listeners out there that might be a little bit more sensitive than others. um, This is a sad story at the end. It it doesn't have the best ending in the world. And so be forewarned, you know, for, for that coming up soon. But Bruce was a six month old puppy when he first showed up at the animal shelter. And one thing that we all immediately noticed about Bruce was that he was extremely rambunctious. Um, He was running all over the place. He was jumping on people. He was biting our clothes, nipping our hands, biting at our heels, Um, really rambunctious, trying to bolt out of his enclosure every time he got a chance. And he, he was just, you know, he was a really difficult dog to manage. And so much, in fact, that uh, right off the bat on his kennel card, right outside his enclosure, he was actually even given the label as hyperactive by the animal control staff up there. Okay, so if a dog label as rambunctious, or as I assume that there are other labels that people put um, in the facility, what does that label affect the dog individual? I'm assuming that the immediate impact will be how fast they can be adopted? Yeah, perhaps. Um, one of the, the big issues with providing labels like this is that it, it kind of tells the person that's looking to adopt that there's something defective with this dog. There's, there's something 
inside this dog that is wrong, that is making them hyperactive, and that they will be hyperactive for the rest of their lives. And so for the potential adopter, that tells them that they're going to be having to maintain this problem for the rest of their lives. And this leads a lot of people to having to spend lots of money on medications and different calming collars and scents and diffusers and tight jackets and sweaters and things that are supposed to help our dogs be calmer. And and really, this is just a lot of money and a lot of work and a big hassle for people. And no one goes to the animal shelter to adopt a hassle or a bundle of problems. Everyone that, or most people that go to the animal shelter usually go there because they're looking to find that ideal companion that they're going to take home and instantly start loving and having a beautiful relationship with. Yeah. So th- those kinds of labels can be hurtful and it can delay a potential adoption for sure. I see. And, um, and for Bruce, you know, he, he definitely received that label. And, um, and, and it was a problem for them, but, you know, at our, at our animal shelter where this all happened at, we had an amazing group of volunteers. And, uh, one of the volunteers was an experienced animal trainer herself, and she decided to take the dog home and wanted to foster him and help teach him some behaviors that might help him to get adopted more quickly or, or hopefully to, to make that adoption a successful one. And unfortunately that never turned out to be the case. Um, Bruce was adopted out and returned three times. Mm. And um, by the third time, he was brought back to the animal shelter. Um, at this point, he was a year and a half old, and he had grown. I was, I was really shocked by how much bigger he was than the last time I had seen him. I almost didn't recognize him. And at this point, he had really pulled the transformation from being a little rambunctious puppy to an extremely large, hyperactive dog. And, um, you know, he was probably at this point, you know, near 70 pounds. He was a, he was a pretty big dog at this point and still doing all of the same behaviors that he did as a puppy. They just weren't nearly as cute at this point as they were when he was small. And so, you know, those behaviors, they, they weren't as nice as they were back then. And I remember turning around and seeing Bruce inside the front office being returned after this uh, third time, and the the family that was with him was really upset. The volunteer that had been fostering him was there in the front with him too. And and it was a really sad moment. Everyone up there had really felt like they had failed Bruce and that, you know, that the worst was coming for him. And that was indeed the case. Um, He was brought back into the back, and he was put on a list to be euthanized that following Monday. Mm. That is really sad. But is there a conversation about what behaviors to be established to be adopted? Yeah, that's right. That, that would be the, the constructional question to ask right there. Um, that is the question. You know, what would the good dog look like? You know, what would Bruce be doing if he were the perfect adoptable dog? And um, I think that most animal shelters, especially ones that, that have to euthanize um, some of the animals that come in, I think that they're kind of always under a panic to get their dogs adopted. And that was no exception here for Bruce, you know, a cute little six month old puppy. Um, you know, no one wants to see that story go bad. And, and so, you know, I think in that panic and that rush to get dogs adopted, sometimes we get hyper-focused on eliminating all of these bad behaviors that we see as obstacles to an adoption or a successful adoption, rather than taking a careful consideration of 
what it is that the dog should be doing to get adopted. And, and I think oftentimes from even the animal training perspective, sometimes it might be thought to take longer to build a behavior than it takes to eliminate one. And, um, and we're going to be talking more about that in future podcasts, but I'll go ahead and ruin the surprise for everybody and let you guys know that, no, that's not always the case. It's often much quicker and much easier to shape a new behavior than to eliminate an an old one. Yeah. And that's because eliminating a behavior doesn't ever actually teach the animal what it is that they do need to be doing. That is really interesting. So can you tell us more about what happened with Bruce? Yeah. So after he was brought back into the animal shelter, I started really trying to put a lot of thought into what it is that Bruce should be doing to get adopted or or taken off of the euthanasia list. And um, I started kind of looking around the shelter, seeing what the other dogs were doing that were getting a lot of attention from people and getting adopted out quickly. And it really became clear to me at this point. It was like the light bulb went off over my head that, you know, the things I should teach Bruce to do would be to sit to ask for and receive attention from people rather than jumping on them and nipping on the clothes and nipping at the hands to get the attention that he was after. Wait, but for some family, maybe, they may like those playful behavior, like jumping and running with them and maybe nipping and jumping on them. Maybe you can wait for those family to come to the shelter, and then adopt him? You know, um, you know, some people may indeed classify those behaviors as playful or, or things that they might want to see. Um, however, I, I would go ahead and wager that the vast majority of the families out there don't really look for a dog that's jumping on them and nipping at their clothes to get their attention. Um Really, one of my thought processes in selecting these behaviors was to give the dog a behavior that would maximize the opportunity for them to get reinforcement from their families. Mm. And really, the best way to do that would be to teach a behavior that would be more universally accepted by people. And I think most people would be more inclined to give attention to a dog that comes up and sits down next to them rather than a dog that jumps all over them or or bites at their clothing. I see. And, and so that was the big thought process behind selecting these types of behaviors. And, and after I arrived at that conclusion, I went ahead and I took Bruce outside. And at this uh, animal shelter, they had a beautiful outdoor fenced-in area. And so I took him out there and let him off leash and set up a video camera outside the enclosure and started filming myself working with Bruce. And it took about 30 minutes of working with him to teach him how to ask for and receive my attention. And at about that point, you know, um, I could lay down on the ground with him and share affection with him. I could get up and leave the enclosure and come back in. And he would stay, you know, just kind of hanging out, waiting for me to come over and rub his tummy. And it was really, really nice, you know, really spending that time outside with Bruce. And, And so I took him and brought him back inside the the animal shelter where his enclosure was, and I repeated the process there. And so now instead of uh, having a dog that would try and bolt out the open doors or jump all over you or bite at your hands or feet when you came into the enclosure, now he would just calmly sit or lay down inside his enclosure and wait for you to come in and share some affection with him and, and then leave. 
And this was really a total contrast. It was a completely different dog than the one that had been brought in. And I uploaded some video of this work to a private volunteer page that we had on Facebook. And it was just, um, you know, the other workers and other people that volunteered on Facebook were the only people that could uh, get access to the material there on that page. Now, that is really amazing that you could change a behavior, really meaningful behavior, within 30 minutes. That's really amazing. So, so when you uploaded the video, how does the volunteer, what was the impact the video had on the volunteer? It was met with an overwhelming, you know, positive response. Everybody there was really curious about what had happened, how we had inflicted such quick change in Bruce and how it looked so definite. And everybody was really, really interested. They wanted to know how to repeat that process. And um, it really kind of became a theme at that animal shelter within time where people were being mindful about making sure to create an environment that was one that permitted these dogs to kind of grow into that ideal adoptable animal companion. And, um, and that's a big thing, too, because everybody had to learn that we, you know, that the humans inside this animal shelter were a part of that environment, that for the environment to be one that's good for the dog and needed to take into account the things that the dog perceives in its environment, which inevitably also includes us. And so we had to change our behavior in order to make an impact in the dog's behaviors that were in our shelter. Now, um, unfortunately for Bruce, um, you know, um, it, it kind of ended up being a little bit of a problem inside the animal shelter. When I had uploaded the video, there was a volunteer that kind of ran things for the whole animal shelter. And um, she saw the posting of Bruce as an attack to her authority. And um, when I came into the animal shelter that that Monday that Bruce was set up to be euthanized, um, she was waiting there for me. And she informed me that she had a big problem with that video being posted on the page and uh, said that it didn't matter what videos I posted or what I had done with any of the dogs in the shelter, that she was the bottom line and that she got to decide who was euthanized and who was not and that she had put Bruce on the euthanasia list, and that she made sure that it was carried out that Monday. And that was really where the mission for me was lit. You know, I had a fire in me at that point to make sure that no other dogs, you know, that I could at least help with, um, or that I had a reach with, um, would end up going down this kind of a path where they would end up losing their lives over uh, just a simple misconception like this, over where their behavior comes from and how it is that we can help them in in our roles and what we can do to help and support these guys to be more adoptable. Thank you for sharing the story. It's really a shame that the volunteer couldn't see the meaning of a big behavior change in Bruce. And this story captures the essence of construction approach I like that you first set a goal, focus on behavior to build rather than to eliminate the behaviors, and you use the petting or scratching to Bruce, which is which seems to be the thing that he has always wanted. That's right. And um, one thing that I would like to mention here is, is that one volunteer that we uh, kind of had a conflict with there at the end of the story. 
And um, I, I, that really taught me something pretty important, and that was that whenever we're putting in programs or doing work in places, um, it's often important that we remember not only to be constructional with our animals that we're aiming to help, but also to be constructional with some of the other people there inside the facilities that we're working in. And, and we always have to be mindful of what the other people's reinforcers are in the places that we're working with and how we can best bring them in to be agents of change with the program. So one thing I could have done with this volunteer to help bring her a little bit more on board and to be a better part of the process was to have maybe been a little bit more constructional in what I would have liked to have in the way I would have liked to have been working with her. And ideally, I would have loved to have had her going through the entire constructional process with me. So one thing that might have helped the situation would have been if I had had the discussion with her about what it is that Bruce should be doing in order to get adopted. And that way, whenever I would have gone through the training and uploaded the video, it could have been something that was a part of her idea and something that she was joined in in the beginning rather than something that had gone against an announcement that she had made about euthanizing Bruce. I totally agree. That's a great point. And I also think one of the big message that Bruce is um, teaching us is our interaction, like our, the social interaction that the dogs get, how powerful those are. Mm -hmm. We have a really powerful interaction and then we can influence by our behavior to change their life and whatever bruce was doing like those jumpy behavior maybe he was getting maybe that's the only way he can get attention from us even though it was really brief and when sean started to change the rule of if you sit down or lay down you can get this this interaction it's way easier for dog to do and yeah, it's just so powerful our interaction can be, and yeah. That's right, and that, that's exactly the point right there, is that that's the, the silver lining in this for every single person out there that has a dog that jumps, nips, bites their clothes, or bites at their heels. The, the silver lining here is that the dog is telling us something important, and that's that they want something that we have. And typically, that's our interaction, that's our attention, our talking to them, our petting them, our playing with them, and even our scolding them or trying to punish them. Um, you know, they're, they're telling us clearly that they want something that we have. And that gives us a big clue on where we can begin to start building an effective training program. This marks the end of our first episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoy listening to our show. If you like our show, please subscribe our podcast or share it with your friend. Or even better, maybe take a walk with your animal companion and friends and talk about it. Feel free to get more information or reach out to us on Facebook, Construction Approach to Animal Welfare and Training, or email us at caawtcontact at gmail.com. In our next episode, we will be joined by an amazing guest, which is one of our mentors. He will talk more in depth about the construction approach. Thank you so much today. Have a wonderful day with your amazing animal companion. And once again, I am Sean, and this is Masa, and we thank you for joining us today on the Constructional Approach to Animal Welfare and Training podcast.